The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, false political ideas, sexual references, bad food, and a platypus. Sunday, the 19th of January, 2020. My God. In this episode, we taste some new legendary Australian food. And it doesn't taste very much of anything. We look into a strange reality. This strange place where everything happens, but nothing happens. And we'll learn, yes, learn something about bushfire-related propaganda. This has kind of catapulted us, or Australia that is, into the global disinformation warfare space. This is the 9pm Authentic Aussie Inauthentic Robot Food Politics with added platypus. Well, thank God Brexit is over and done with, and thank God climate change isn't a thing anymore. I mean, it's over, right? As I record this podcast, it's a cloudy, wet day here in the Blue Mountains. The smoke is gone. I can breathe the air again. Uh, No longer am I scheduling my time down in Sydney to coincide with the bushfire alerts, so I'm out of the danger area. It's all fixed. Well, it isn't, of course, is it? The media at at least the media we can trust, has been pointing to the scientific reports from 10 and 20 years ago that predicted exactly this sort of thing, uh, i.e. the bushfires we've had in Australia, not a rainy Sunday. They predicted longer fire seasons starting earlier and ending later and generally more intense bushfires. Uh This effect, they said, should be directly observable by 2020, And of course, here we are. But if you follow the media from the conservative side of politics, you'd get a very different impression. You got a problem. Right now, you can look at at Australia, you can hear people on Twitter blaming it on climate change while they arrest hundreds for arson, okay? You think the arson story would be the lead story when it comes to climate change? It's not, because then you can't blame it on on, uh, climate skeptics. You should be questioning why there are so many arsonists. It's because it, it's, it's due to spectacle. It's just like mass shootings. It's encouraged because of the news. And they don't do the controlled burns like they yeah. used That's to do and clean up all the dry brush. Everything you heard in that clip from Fox News is a lie. The Greens, the Green Party, or Greenies in general, have not blocked hazard reduction burning in bushfire-prone areas. In fact, they support it. The reasons why there hasn't been as much hazard reduction burning as in the past is because climate change makes the weather drier and hotter and the season during which you can do these controlled burns is shorter. It hasn't helped much either that uh, the the state governments have uh, severely cut back the budgets for both the volunteer fire services and the National Parks and Wildlife Service, so there are fewer people to administer and monitor such controlled burns. And while some bushes are caused by arson, yes, even those labelled as deliberately burned are not, uh, deliberately lit rather, are not all arson. Some are just 
people doing their own hazard reduction burns and losing control, uh, campfires that they shouldn't have lit in the first place getting out of control, and so on. There is no evidence to suggest that the current season has seen a higher level of arson. And besides, when they say hundreds of people have been arrested, no. There's been 23 or 24 charges of arson. The hundreds of people have been charged with, issued a, a fine for discarding a lit cigarette, lighting a campfire and letting it get out of control, lighting a fire in a total fire ban day, which may or may, or may not have got out of control, but it's illegal anyway, and other fire-related charges which, which don't lead to fires. Check the links on the, the podcast website for more information about all that, as there always fucking is. But... Those lies continue to be spread by the conservative media, both the Rupert Murdoch outlets and the weird cunts further to the right, like Breitbart and Prison Planet. Uh, the other day, uh, WNYC's On The Media did a really excellent report on that. The bullshit is being spread even further, though, thanks to a bunch of social media bots and trolls being paid for... Well, we don't know who's paying for it. More about that shortly. By contrast, some of the best bushfire reporting from overseas is coming from the BBC, and in particular Ross Atkins, who hosts the program Outside Source on BBC World News. His daily reports have been excellent explainers. They cut to the chase. Here's just a, a short two-minute grab from one of them. Well, the broader criticism facing Scott Morrison is around climate change. He's known for being a staunch supporter of Australia's fossil fuel industry. Here he is with a lump of coal in Parliament in 2017. More recently, his government approved a new coal mine in Queensland. And this is why it's politically important. Coal added around 47 billion US dollars to the Australian economy in the last financial year. The industry employs tens of thousands of people. And Mr Morrison argues that Australia is a tiny part of the climate change story. We could close down every single power generation facility in the country and those emissions would be taken up by China in about nine days. OK, but Australia's emissions are dwarfed by China because China has a much larger population. Here's a graphic from Oxford University showing emissions per capita in 2017. The darker the red, the higher the country's emissions per person. China emitted about seven tonnes per person. Australia, dark red, emitted 17 tonnes per person. Then there's the issue of exports. Estimates say the CO2 produced by fossil fuel exports rank Australia as third. There's also the controversial counting that Australia is using to meet the Paris Climate Accord. One of the architects of that deal called it cheating. The EU bans its members from doing it that way. Not Australia. It's carrying over 370 million tonnes worth of emissions. This is from when Australia came in under previous emissions targets under the earlier Kyoto deal as Australia needs to eliminate around 695 million tonnes of emissions, 370 from a novel way of counting is very helpful. Now, not for the first time, the Prime Minister and the Minerals Council of Australia agree. It says the use of Kyoto carryover credits has long been accepted and is allowable under the Paris Agreement, but not according to everyone. Here's Scott Morrison being asked about this. 
Should we use these carryover credits? Because we're opening the door for others well, to David, do so. Well, David, what I'm saying to you is that in the, in, the, in the years ahead, we are going to continue to evolve our policy in this area to reduce emissions uh, even further, and we're going to do it without a carbon tax. So no future carbon tax, we're told, but equally no answer to the question that was asked. Scott Morrison's uh, coalition government and the Labor opposition are both trying frantically to sort out their positions before Parliament resumes in February. Only a few days away now. Whatever summary I might try to make here would be obsolete within days, maybe even just hours, so I won't bother. What is certain, though, is that the information wars are hotting up, so to speak. Those who want to preserve the status quo uh, can see that Australia's bushfires could well become, or at least trigger, uh, a turning point in our approach to climate change. They don't want that to happen, and they'll fight hard to prevent it. Just because it's raining in eastern Australia today and for a few more days, well, that doesn't mean the propaganda will wind back. On the contrary, things are going to get much, much worse. Better pour a drink. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. Now, I mentioned just before that there seems to be an organised propaganda campaign to divert uh, people's views of Australia's bushfires into conspiracy theories. One of those, one of the big ones, uh, as you heard, is that the fires are all started by arsonists, nothing to do with climate change. Well, at the Queensland University of Technology, Dr Timothy Graham uh, is among uh, a number of people Looking at exactly that, uh, I wrote about this for ZDNet, uh, but I also decided to record uh, our conversation for you. Now, Tim Graham looked at three hashtags, Bushfire Australia, Australia Fire, and this arson emergency thing, and he found some very significant differences, I think, uh, when you look at that arson emergency hashtag. Right, so the way that I'm going about it is um, kind of a, a bit of a technical approach. So I'm scraping Twitter data um, um, using a programming language, using Python, and then doing some analysis of it using automated tools that allow you to kind of estimate um, how likely it is that, that accounts that are authoring tweets that include these hashtags um, are, are likely to be you know, bots or, or highly automated or not. How do you determine that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of a million-dollar question. <laughs> I mean, as, as humans, we have trouble with that, right? We do. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, two, there's kind of two problems. The first is that humans have a, a real problem with it, as evidenced from you know, films like Blade Runner, where the whole film is about um, trying to tell whether a person is an, an android or you know, a robot or not. Um, and then teaching machines to, to be able to do it as well, um, or as or as, as well as we can, um, so to speak. So, um, I mean, the, the short story is that we, we basically use like machine learning. Um, so um, you train the computer on a whole bunch of examples of, say, for example, um, tweets that have been authored by, um, you know, by, by known bots, um, by bots that, that um, 
that call themselves bots and do bot-like things, you know, like time clock bots and bots that, um, that, that, that pretend to be Donald Trump and things like that. And then you also feed it tweets by, um, by verified human users. And then what it does is it learns how to be able to differentiate between them automatically so that if you were to give, um, you know, give the, the trained model a new tweet, it could say, oh, okay, um, this is how likely it is that this, that this tweet has been authored by, by, by a human. So, you know, give it a score close to zero or a bot, give it a, a score, you know, close to one, for example. Now, on the, uh, the hashtag uh, in particular, arson emergency, that one intrigues me. Now, you've only taken a random sample of the tweets so far because I understand it takes a while to suck them all out of the, the Twitterverse. What have you found <laughs> yep. so far? So I came to Arson Emergency because I had been kind of tracking some some individual accounts that looked kind of suspicious. Um, they were really um, focused, like in particular, on on climate denial and the Greens um, being responsible for the bushfires and arson attacks being responsible for the bushfires as well. And I noticed that there was a hashtag that that these people or these trolls or whatever had been using. Um, arson emergency that no one else seemed to be using and it, it kind of stood out to me because it was a um uh, it, it it was it's not like a um uh like bushfire australia hashtag or australia fire it's not like a, a major hashtag but it's one that they look like they're trying to get um get to go viral um and so what i thought was well i'll collect some tweets um as many as i can um that include arson emergency and just look at who is is authoring this stuff and lo and behold, um, when I uh, when I ran it through you know, through through the the bot or not um, fancy AI model, it 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 showed that there's a really high proportion um, or higher much higher than we would expect based on you know your average hashtag, all the other hashtags that are that are happening at the moment. Um, yeah, really bot-like, automated troll-like accounts that are really pushing this hashtag. Um, so it it kind of um, what I've taken away from it is it appears that, that there's a, some kind of an, a disinformation campaign. I'm not sure whether it's orchestrated or the, the extent to which this campaign is being coordinated, but there does um, appear to be uh, like a particular focal point for spreading disinformation about, um, about, about arson um, in relation to the bushfires. So if you had to put an adjective on it, how certain you were uh, that this is orchestrated in some, ha some way or just the random spread of, you know, controversial information which hooks people in. How, you know, what's your gut feeling and how might that compare to uh, other more obvious campaigns that have happened on a larger scale, you know, the election-based mm. stuff and so on? Oh, that's a, that, that's a bit of a million-dollar question um, uh, at this stage. I mean, it's, it's really... I'd probably say that I'm at least confident that um, what's happening with hashtags like arson emergency and with some of the really polarised discussion around the bushfires is that unlike anything I've seen before in Australia, this has kind of catapulted us or Australia that is into the global disinformation warfare space. So it's, I guess I'm less confident about 
coordination in terms of like let's say for example if we suppose that the internet research agency you know the russian troll farms were responsible for this kind of stuff which i'm not saying they are um but but if we sort of propose that i'm not sure if that is exactly what's going on here as it was for for example the 2016 u.s election but what i do seem to um i do get a strong sense based on the the evidence so far and, and based on the analysis i've done is that it 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 does have all the hallmarks of um, broader conspiratorial style thinking, um, far right populist um, extremist discussions online, and that we've, as in Australia and the and the the bushfire tragedy, has basically sh- um, pulled us into that broader global, um, really pressing issue, and now we're starting to see that that, that these the, there's these. Um, accounts that are really suspicious. There's a whole bunch of misinformation flying around. Um, when you go and look at the accounts that, that seem suspicious, you see that they're they're, they're tweeting about um, you know, climate change skepticism and 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 conspiracies around um, around the bushfires. But they're also talking about you know other key issues um, that that they're just harping on and on about in in much the same way that um, that Russian trolls, for example, during the, the 2016 US election. Um, went on about particular issues as directed by um, um, you know, by their manager. So <laughs> that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I'm I'm fairly certain that this that there that there is a disinformation um, campaign or campaigns or operations, I, I suppose, happening at the moment. The extent to which they're all being coordinated from from one particular agency or from from another state um, in terms of state interference that I'm not too sure about now if I'm if I'm a human and as a human I would like to uh, figure out or at least determine which which kind of accounts to trust or not trust what sort of things should I be looking out for right well um, there's kind of a <laughs> there's a bit of a, a kind of a, a checklist I guess that you can go through if you want to if you want to ascertain how suspicious an account is. So the, the first is the username. Um, so usernames that uh, have lots of numbers in them or begin with um, like an underscore or begin with numbers uh, have a higher probability of being automatically generated. Um, so, you know, if it's like D Smith 104060702 underscore, that suggests that that it might be an account that's being created kind of programmatically or automatically. Um, the second thing to look out for is um, the the, the uh, profile image. So if it's just an, uh, the default image, like the, the egg on Twitter, for example, that's a bit of a giveaway as well. Um, and you can also... If you if you look at an image and you think, oh, there's no way that this, you know, that this person is a you know, appears to be like a, a 20-year-old model um, from some other country, you can uh, copy the image and then do a reverse image search to see where that image has appeared elsewhere on the web. And so troll accounts, for example, will often use profile pictures that they take from real people's accounts. They just basically steal them and then use them for themselves. Um, so that's another, I mean, that's another dead giveaway um, often for for suspicious or inauthentic accounts. Um, what they talk about, so there's, there's two more things. <laughs> there's not like 10 or 20, but there's two more things. What they talk about, if they're just talking about one thing or two topics, um, particularly where the topics are either extremely concentrated, so they may, maybe they're only just talking about bushfires, 
um, then um, then that's that's a sign that they're not you know a human or sorry a regular kind of human user. Uh, most people kind of talk about a few main things, but they'll drift in and out of interest and they'll share cat videos and things like that. So you'd you'd, you'd expect that there'd be a bit of kind of randomness to what um, to what human users talk about. And then finally, the timing of the tweets um, of the activity. So. Humans go to sleep, um, or people, people, regular people go to sleep. So there's often this kind <laughs> Unless of diurnal. Unless they're geeks and <laughs> online or whatever. Yeah, so but yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so, so it's not sorry. a total. Um, <laughs> uh, it's not a perfect measure. That one. It's not a. <laughs> it's not a perfect measure. Um, it certainly doesn't apply to 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 certain academics like myself sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, you usually see a dip um, for for. Um, like for a national Twitter sphere, for example, you'd see a dip, you know, around 2 a.m. or something like that when everyone's sleeping. But bots don't need to worry about that. And trolls who are operating in Russia, for example, just power on through. Um, and and um, oh, and and the last thing is just looking at the account creation date. So you know, if you if you look at an account and it says oh, created in 2008, you you can be fairly sure that that's not this like super long game. <laughs> kind of Russian troll campaign, it, it's probably very likely to be a real human user. But if you see an account that's kind of created maybe just three months ago or six months ago or just before a major event, um, then that's kind of you know the final flag where if all of these stars align and um, and they all sort of and, and they all sort of get flagged, I just think, well, it's you, know, you have to call a spade a spade and um, even though we can't go into the machine and, 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 and find out who's sitting behind the computer um, or, or if, if it's a bot, we can, you know, the evidence is sort of overwhelmingly um, um, suggest that the user might be inauthentic. Mm. The main issue that's been on my mind is, is just how can, we, um, how, can, how can we start to unpack and, and systematically um, kind of combat these kinds of issues as they emerge so that we don't wind up with an even more polarised two-party system in Australia um, and, and contribute to the so-called you know, culture wars and things that are happening. I think really of, of everything, this is a bit of a warning sign um, for me that I don't think that Australia has seen anything like this before. And, and it's starting to look a lot like um, you know, the, the 60 or 70 examples from other countries around the world where, um, where, where disinformation has become like a legitimately um, and serious, um, seriously problematic issue for, for elections and things. So, yes, my, <laughs> my, I guess my, my, uh, my main, um, what's going around in my head at the moment is really the implications of all this. Mm, mm, there's something to, to think about. Dr. Timothy Graham, thank you very much uh, for that happy thought. <laughs> I should have ended on a, on, on a more positive note, but um, yeah. Uh, well, it's where of... we are, isn't it? Thank you very much. No worries. Okay, cheers. Now, I spoke with Tim Graham a, a few days ago. Now, since then, David Spencer in Canberra has done a bunch more work on this. Uh, links on the website. I shouldn't have to keep telling you these things. Uh, David Spencer, he's posted a map uh, of 379,000 tweets from 190,000 different accounts that relate to bushfires and arson. And he says, yeah, that that theory is being pushed by the larger international community on the right of politics. Quote, my reading of this data set and visualisation is 
Australian bushfires became grist for a well-established global right-wing mill. Some are bots, some are trolls, but also many independent individuals uh, that are always disseminating disinformation on a set of themes, and climate change is just one of them. Now, this idea that arson is to blame for the fires uh, seems to have been ready-made. He says there's a sort of prototype in Canadian and American contexts, including the idea that green eco-terrorists light the fires to sell the so-called climate change hoax. But he says that that Climate change denial fits in with other extreme views, uh, and these these accounts bring in those threads and mix them together. Greenies, eco-terrorists, the United Nations, the Australian opposition, communists, migrants, Muslims, uh, they're all invoked as perhaps they're arsonists, perhaps they instigate the arson, or perhaps they're the, the secretive financial backers. Now, he says, David Spencer says, that there's a kind of bot that has a pivotal role in all this, or so he thinks. It, it's kind of a, quote, news, unquote, aggregator. And it looks for search terms. Say the search string is migrant and crime and things like that. So any events that may assist in this narrative of some grand conspiracy are, are pulled in. And, of course, because they're all dumped into the thread, uh, I think, anyway, that, that's obviously going to be very effective uh, at, at spreading the false information. Anyway, meanwhile, uh, The Australian, which is, of course, Rupert Murdoch's national newspaper, they were so worried about my ZDNet story trying to debunk this that they took a swipe at me, and that's on my website. I actually feel quite validated now. Elephant stamp time! Elephant stamp time! Each episode of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking and I'm going to very quickly plough through three of them today because this podcast is getting very long. Uh, First of all, uh, the authorities of Galilee, Rhode Island in the United States because on September 24th, 1938, a man called Charles Kelville Uh, was reported to have died, except he walked into the morgue, looked at the body, which had been identified, and his said, nope, that ain't me, and walked out again. Elephant stamp of approval to the folks in Galilee. Number two, and this is via Professor Frank McDonough, who's a professor of international history in the UK. This stamp is awarded to the people of London in the year 1797 because apparently the sight of the very first top hat caused a riot. The top hat was invented by a Mr John Hetherington, a haberdasher, that is a hat maker, of of the Strand in London. He called it a silk hat. It was a variation on a, a standard hat at the time, but... Uh, made from beaver fur covered in silk, as as I am. Uh, on the first day, he took to the streets wearing this tall hat. He ended up being arraigned before the Lord Mayor on a charge of breach of the peace and incitement to riot. The disorder had resulted from him wearing, quote, a tall structure having a shiny luster and calculated to frighten timid people. It was said 
that women fainted at the sight of his headgear, children screamed, dogs yelped, and a young boy suffered a broken arm in the ensuing scrum. He had to pay a $500 uh, bond to keep the peace. Uh, and in his defence, he had said that he had not broken any law, but was merely exercising a right to appear in a headdress of his own design, which is a right not denied to any Englishman. Congratulations, the population of London, 1797. And the final and third and final elephant stamp goes to... Boris Yeltsin, not Boris Yeltsin, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of uh, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, uh, for his program uh, and his suggestion that people should bung a bob for the Big Ben bong. People this morning might have seen their newspapers a story about um, the Brexit bongs at Big, Be at Big Ben. Bongs, Do you yes. think there should be bongs on? Well, the bongs, the 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 bongs, the bongs cost the bongs cost five hundred thousand pounds because yes. because uh, very costly bongs. The, 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 yeah, but uh, we're, we're, we're working up a plan so that people can bung a bob for a Big Ben bong if they because there is there are some people who want to uh, bung bung. I haven't quite worked out worked right. it out. But I love the fact you're de developing policy live on the television. No, the, 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 you know, it, 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 because the. As you, everybody knows, Big Ben is being refurbished. They've taken, you see, they seem to have taken the clapper away. So we need to restore the clapper in order to bong Big Ben for, on Brexit night. And that, that is expensive. So I think there's a, the, we're looking at whether people you can might fund want, it. We're looking at whether we public. can fund it. It, okay, seems well cost, it seems to cost half a million pounds. Yes. Well, as forewarned, endlessly on Twitter, it's Aussie Food Taste Test Time. Joining me for this important scientific endeavour is someone you may know from the Twitters. It's the Snarky Platypus, or Snarky Platypus, which is it? Hello? Hello. For those of you who don't uh, follow you on Twitter, you do have some opinions on Australian food, don't you? Yes, I do have opinions. Yes. Yes, I do. What <laughs> are those opinions? Well, I mean, um, man, it's substandard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. We've got some I iconic stuff. <laughs> the meat well, pie? Well, um, well obviously, kind of, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'll explain my background with Australian food here a bit. So, obviously, I know, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not of white origin, right? So, I didn't grow up with a lot of this food. So, kind of, my, my exposure to this food is actually quite limited in a way. So, it's kind of um, um, mainly through, like, birthday parties as, as, as a kid or things like that. So it's not kind of like kind of it's still a bit of a, a novelty to me in a way as well. Well, I guess so. It's that that thing of being a child of immigrants. Yes. Uh, even though you grew up here, uh, but you know you you've reached a certain age. Well, look, we'll get into that as we go along. Hmm. But I I did look at some uh, websites uh, that discussed iconic Aussie food yeah. uh, today. And if you go to the podcast webpage, you will see those, of course. Why do I have to keep telling you this? In response, uh, maybe one or two words in response to each of these, Vegemite. Yeah. Um, I, used to, I used to eat it a lot so, as a child. Okay. Yes, but, but I, I haven't eaten it for like 20 years, I don't think. Well, there you go. Fairy bread. Disappointing. <laughs> Tim Tams. Good. Meat pies. Extremely overrated. Anzac biscuits. Not bad. Chicken parmigiana. Oily. 
It shouldn't be. <laughs> or very heavy, kind of, you know, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, I, I, I've, tr- I've, I've literally tried a Parmigiana once. So, but I oh, okay. But, but I wasn't a big fan, to be honest. So. All right. There you go. Fish and chips. Okay. Pavlova. Nah. Beetroot. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Dangerous question. Uh, beetroot in a burger. Yes, no, always, never. Yes. Okay. But, but not always. So. Witchetty grub. Never tried one. Neither have I. No, but I heard it's quite good, actually. Apparently, it has a kind of nutty, nutty taste. Yeah, nutty taste. Yes, once correct. you get over the fact that mm. the thing is wriggling in your mouth because it's still alive. Mm. But, yeah, but kind of um, a- Asian food has, has a, does that alive thing, like like sashimi lobster and things like that, right? So. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you don't actually... Oh, the sashimi lobster, yes. yes. I mean, I... I yeah. If I remember correctly, you're still with me over the creepiness of live seafood places. Yes, in- yes. I don't. I, I'm not a fan in, in general. No, no. I've, I've, I've done it once or twice, but it's not something I would do very often. So. I do love silkworms. Um, you- in once in Bangkok, we got as a as a thing to go with your beer. Mm. It's just um, silk silkworm bugs. Um, oh, really? Um, um, just fried in soy sauce, well, so it becomes a salty well, it, snack. Insects are meant to be are meant to be the future of food, right? They so, are. And look, give me yes, yeah, seriously, give me another big bowl mm, of mm. fried uh, uh, what do they call silkworms? Mm. Oh, gee, memory loss is setting in quickly. Okay, <laughs> barbecues generally, I'm passing over that because that's particularly Australian, talk to any <laughs> Texan, talk to any... Koreans, Koreans. Koreans, uh, South Americans, yes. yes, yes. Kangaroo meat, love it. Uh, I love it too. Emu? It's okay. It's like it's a, a, a gamey poultry. Gamey yeah. poultry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Barramundi, it's a, it's a fish. Yes, it, yeah, it, it's good fish. Lamingtons? Overrated. Avocados? <laughs> eh. Devil's slime fruit? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Uh, I can eat them, but it, they're nothing special, really. Okay. Like, like smash avocado, like, uh. Golden gay time. Thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, I won't go through the other ones, because the reason we are here is that uh, Barnet's Shapes. Now, these are, again, a kind of iconic Aussie biscuits. They are. Uh, they come in flavours. They're at there crisp really they're a cracker and this flavor is chicken crimpy savory i love savory flavor whatever that might be uh cheddar which is <laughs> yeah you're not fooling anyone uh barbecue which were always my favorite now they've had some newer ones since pizza mm-hmm. and stuff but a year ago they developed the vegemite and cheese shapes and now with australia day coming up the brain geniuses at arnott's have come up with two more of these Aussie Legends flavours, mm-hmm. they're calling them. Uh, and that is... Uh, look, we'll get to that, but we're going to try all three of these Aussie Legends today, and we do have the original foods that inspired them here as well. Uh, plus, we have to cleanse our palates, uh, the Prosecco of Palate Purity, mm-hmm. uh, which we will have uh, definitely only uh, between each one. I haven't had any yet. Obviously, <laughs> of course not. And uh, we we do have to do this scientifically, so we'll kind of be keeping score uh, as we uh, go along. Now, you have a freshly cooked meat pie in front of you, mm. obtained from Coles two hours ago, cooked right now at the vast expense of seventy five cents each. Uh, hand it here. Now, which sauce do you want? I'll go for the tomato. I see. That's all right. You go tomato. Mm. I prefer tomato as well. So you said you 
Pies are overrated. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think pies are overrated. Because? I, mean, I don't know. Just kind of... I just find it a bit underwhelming. That's all. Kind of. All right. And maybe because the meat's low quality. So. Well, obviously it's 75 cents. These are quality pies. <laughs> um, take a bite. Tell us what you think. I will say the pastry is nice and crisp because it hasn't been sitting in a mm. pie warmer for half a day. Yeah. It's fresh from the oven. Mm. Um, meat quality, six out of ten, maybe? Yeah, very, very mediocre. <laughs> mm. Doesn't really taste of anything, does it? No, it doesn't actually. No, mm. you get more taste from, from the, oh, from the, the, the pastry. Yeah, and the sauce as well. Yeah. All right, look, 75 cent um, meat, pies. meat pies, not recommended. So, to compare, uh, <laughs> yes. the Arnott's Aussie Legends Meat Pie, with flavour you can see, that's the slogan mm. for all of them. Now, these Aussie Legends series, most of them are in, cut in the shape of Australia, but some are in the shape of Tasmania. To make oh, them inclusiveness, inclusive. The official tasting notes say: sweet tomato, rich gravy beef with subtle pepper and onion notes layered onto buttery pastry. I think I mentioned that 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 would, would be the best tasting pie I would have ever tasted. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, look, opening this, obviously, there's a cardboard box. There's a foil packet. Oh, uh, before we go any further, the ingredients, in fact, are. Wheat flour, vegetable oil contains antioxidants E304, E307B uh, from soy. Uh, soy lecithin, uh, corn flour from maize. Sugar, salt. See, more sugar than salt. Here we go. Yeast extract, natu- natural flavour, which I always love as a thing. Natural flavour. Is, is it like MSG or something? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, vegetable protein extract from soybeans, again. Tomato powder. Tea powder, beef fat, baking powder, cocoa powder, onion powder, spice, something for the Dune fans, I suppose, mushroom extract and onion extract. Now, Mr. Platypus, you would have. Uh, okay, you would have grown up with shapes in their various forms. Yes, I would have. Which way do you put them in your mouth? Sort of salty spice side down so you taste it in a burst? Or spice side up? I don't think I've ever consciously thought about it, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, you take one of those Shape of Australia, apparently maps of Tassie are rarer, so to speak. Okay. Um, There's not a lot to see on it. Really? No. A few little brown spots on an extremely dodgy map of Australia. Yeah. Have a look at the yeah. website. Okay. Well, it tastes more like a pie than the pie. You want another one? Just. <laughs> Just. I mean, it's it's salty. You can get that onion gravy taste. The gravy tastes more gravy-like, I think. Mm. The gravy in the pie is actually, it's it tastes it doesn't taste like gravy. It tastes like yeah, nothing. So 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 yes, the the meat pie crisps taste more like gravy than the actual the pie. pie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want a third one? No, I've, I think okay. I've had enough. <laughs> right. Okay. So, 
Okay, compare who wins, the biscuits or the pie? I would say the biscuit would have to win. Okay, so that's a meat pie shape, tastes more like a meat pie than the pie. So next, we will move on to number two from a year ago, the uh, Vegemite and cheese. What shapes an Aussie legend? Shapes and Vegemite. Genius. True legends inspire others. Like shapes and Vegemite. They share their experience. They share what made them great. Legends make those around them better. They shape what we all strive to be. Are they shapes in Vegemite? Yeah. They shape Australia. Thanks, Bruce. No worries. So who are you talking to? You can't hear that? Shapes, Vegemite and cheese. A new Aussie legend is here. Now, this is a TV ad for uh, for Vegemite and cheese uh, shapes from a year ago. Now, this this is the thing. There were actually Aussie legends in that, weren't there? Yes, there were. Yes. There was Cathy Freeman, the runner. There's Dan McGrath cricketer and, and uh, Gian Rooney, a swimmer. So there you go. And, and as we know in Australia, uh, um, legends have to be sports players. Of course. Obviously. No, 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 no other type. Okay. How important has Vegemite been in your life, given that that, as you say, you had a more... Asian-y food yeah. culture growing up. Um, I did. I, I did used to eat it daily at one point as a child, but kind of. Um, but I lost. Yeah, I lost interest in it as I grew older for some reason. So lost interest in Vegemite. Yes, I know, which is an unusual concept, isn't it? Okay. But, but also, but I've never had Vegemite and cheese before either. This is the other thing. So. Ah, yeah. So this is going to be a new experience. Yeah. Now, before we do that, um, I, I do have for the sandwich um, cheap white sliced bread. Mm. Uh, it was hard to get the actual two dollar awful. Tip, is Tip Top still a brand? Anyway, I couldn't see that. So I've got the $3 uh, slightly high fibre version. It still looks a bit shit. Uh, I've put butter on the sandwich and uh, Vegemite, of course, and the cheese. Now, back in the day, this would have been craft processed cheddar cheese slices. Which, which still exists, of course. Does it? I mean, Coon brand is there. Now... Yeah. Uh, for overseas, Coon brand cheese is is not a racist thing. It was actually invented by a Mr. Coon, who was the person who invented this processed cheese process. Mm. And in Australia, they named a brand of cheese after him, which which seems perfectly acceptable, if slightly embarrassing today. Well, mm-hmm. rather a lot embarrassing, mm. really. But I didn't get Coon cheese because they have moved away from... The cheek process. <laughs> the actual cheek process, mm-hmm. too. So this is um, Dairy Lee slices, they call them, um, which are not actually cheese. They say they don't say cheese slices. They just say slices. And on the back, it says processed cheese slice, ingredients, cheese, minimum 41%, then water is the next ingredient. <laughs> so it's watered-down cheese somehow. Sounding good so far? Mmm. <laughs> Okay. Mineral salts, three different kinds, 331-339-341. More salt, but obviously not mineral salt, so I don't know how we work around. I think Actually, the reason they split them up is you can push them further down the ingredient list. Okay. Because the ingredient list has to be in the order of amount. Oh, yeah. Blah, blah, colour 160B. 
allergen statement contains milk. So what you need to do, I think, is because you, you are a cheese, well, maybe not connoisseur, but you, you certainly appreciate good cheese. Mm. So I've handed you one of these slices in its plastic wrapper. And I'm interested to know first, as you take it out, feel it in your hand. What's that texture in your hand? Very like? rubbery. It is very rubber, but tears so easily. So when you mm. put it in your mouth, mm. still rubbery, isn't it? Yeah. And it doesn't taste very much of anything. <laughs> no, well, I mean, there's not a lot of cheese in it. No. But, yeah, it's sort of this padding. Okay. Mm. Well, there's there's your Vegemite and cheese sandwich. Yep. Um, open it. As you can see, it's got Vegemite cheese in it. What? Mm. Now, this is your first Vegemite and cheese sandwich. Yep. The Vegemite overpowers the cheese, definitely. Well, yeah, Vegemite overpowers pretty much anything, mm. really. Cheese taste. Okay. So, that's a bit... You're not impressed, are you? Well, the cheese is just padding, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's padding. And the bread is rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing yes. rubbish. Why we would even consider this to be bread is one of the great mysteries of Australian culture. Uh, but that's for another time. Yeah. Um, so that's that. And I will say that when I was a kid, uh, we weren't well off. That, that that was your school lunch. You'd have one of them because it's cheap. It's just ridiculously yeah. cheap. So uh, palate cleansing time. Yep. A quick sip. And this is obviously your very first sip of the well, uh, Prosecco and Palate Purity. Obviously. Okay. It's probably a little sweet for this purpose. <laughs> So now, ah, I've just spilt the uh, Arnott Shapes Aussie Legends uh, Vegemite and cheese. All over the couch. <laughs> all over the couch. But when I take one out, you grab one first. Um, I'll grab one. I mean, I'm looking at it and it's, it's, it's like a cracker with a bit of brown dust on it it is um what does it taste like a cracker with brown dust (laughs) (laughs) slightly salty brown dust on it (laughs) yeah i mean it has hang on how much there there is no distinctive vegemite taste to it really how much it says here on the box vegemite three percent cheese (laughs) one percent this mystical, mystical, magical, um, natural flavour, whatever that is, <laughs> this is remarkably unpleasing. There is someone I know on Twitter who, they said that these are like crack cocaine for them. Like they'll scoff the whole packet. But must be very low grade cocaine. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm underwhelmed. Okay, so compared to the actual real sandwich, I'll take the real sandwich. Okay, so so far. Cheese and Vegemite sandwich wins over the shapes. Pie loses to the meat pie shapes. One more to go. Looking forward to this, the sausage sizzle. The decider. Uh, Oh, we are getting competitive. (laughs) All right, time to cook some sausages. (laughs) 
while I'm uh, cooking the sausages, and I must stress they are really cheap sausages, uh, I'll throw in this pre-recorded bit to say that this podcast is made possible, as you know, by you, the generous listeners, through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. This episode, <laughs> this episode, it's thanks to Errol Cavett, Ian Hemming, Joanne Jacobs, Paul Wallbank, Peter Leverdink, Roger Crawford, Syl Mobile, and four people who choose to remain anonymous and also a very very special thank you to dave hall who sent another half case of passion pop uh, which as you know is the drink or at least a drink of choice uh, for this podcast for some reason now obviously i would like you to join these people you should go to stillgarian.com slash tip that's stillgarian.com slash tip or for extra benefits, you can subscribe at skank.com.au slash subscribe, skank.com.au slash subscribe. It's especially important to contribute this month because, um, one, Freelancer Hill over holidays, revenue is down, but also uh, if we reach certain revenue targets by the end of January, there will be an extra special live-streamed dramatic reading uh, well, of, of something I'll, I'll tell you later in this episode about that. But uh, back to the taste test. Right, now, we have cooked some sausages. Uh, they're just cooling at the moment. They're fresh from the fry pan. Do they smell all right? They do, actually. Okay. Mm. They're really cheap. So three dollars ninety eight for twelve sausages that yeah. expire. No, ten sausages that expire t- yeah. today. That they didn't feel so good before, though, did they? <laughs> no, if before they're cooked, the the sausage skins. I mean, did it feel like like a cheap condom to you? <laughs> Slimier than a cheap condom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely that. So, um, we obviously need uh, to cleanse our palates with the. Uh, Prosecco of um, palate purity. Yes. Uh, but I want to say these are, we're, we're playing now the uh, sausage sizzle flavour, obviously democracy sausage. Uh, but I want to say that uh, because of the bushfires, uh, Arnott's actually uh, paused the Aussie Legends television campaign oh, really? for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the television ads for shapes, and particularly these, show the shape of Australia zooming out and they show an image of... Uh, of the, to, to, A hazelous Australia. <laughs> well, a hazy Australia and more to the point, because these were sausage sizzles, instead of them being the little sparkly red things mm. of savour, they were all Weber barbecues. Oh. So the map of Australia was covered with the smoke from myriad well, Weber barbecues. As opposed to the smoke of just... Burning eucalypts. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they decided that the pattern was a bit too similar to the maps of bushfire coverage. To, to, <laughs> Fair to, enough. <laughs> to show that Australia was being barbecued, uh, which is a shame. Now, God, this Prosecco is being a cunt. Oh, fucking hell. Right. Finally. Uh, if you can hand me the glass. Uh, do you think your uh, sausage is, is cooled down enough to taste? Um, it probably needs a little bit more cooling down, to be honest. It's, okay. it, 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 is, it is quite hot. So. Okay. Have you spoken to people in other countries about Australia's tradition of the democracy sausage? I, I have briefly, and they seem quite bemused by it, to be honest. Well, I, 
I saw some Americans talking about it the other day because they are they are in some places thinking about proportional representation <gasps> and and what we call um, preferential voting. They call yeah. um, automatic runoff. Oh, that's right. Yes, because it's like if you have a series of mm. votes and el- well, yeah. it is you eliminate yeah. the 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 weakest yeah. link, <laughs> as it were, and then you have another vote. Mm. But it's like you do all that up front and yeah. it's done algorithmically, but mathematically it's exactly the same. Yeah. Are they quite like it? They are shocked to hear that some countries and the Brits as well that we have elections on Saturdays so people can get to them. Yes. Which is which is why they they talk about having like election holidays, right? Overseas. Yes, they think of making it a public holiday, for, which is actually not a bad thing either. Mm. Um, I mean, even for us, because people work on Saturdays. Yeah, yes. Um, but I I like the fact that in Australia, elections are a friendly community event. Mm. Well, I mean, sort of. So, so I'm thinking of things like you know, like you know, I'm. Um, a democracy rendang or something. Oh. Look, I know you're a huge fan of rendang, and your father makes, I, I will admit, excellent rendang, although yeah. my quiet theory is he, he just has this stuff in a jar in the pantry and we just don't see him making this. And he's like, oh, this is this is secret family recipe. And okay, no, nah, it's, just, it's just from some jar out the back, mate, you fraud. You Indonesian fraud. <laughs> if it was a true Asian fraud, he could join the Liberal Party. <laughs> anyway, um, my palate, I think, is cleansed. I suspect you're more a tomato sauce than a barbecue sauce on the democracy sausage person. It, it depends on what I feel like on the day, and I feel, and I feel more like tomato sauce today. So. Okay. I, I mention that because uh, the the tasting notes, oh, it, when we get to it for the sausage Is it barbecue, sizzle, is it? Yes, well, it will- is. I'll go with barbecue. Yeah, then. we need to give a fair comparison. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to this. We'll taste the actual sausage first. But the sausage sizzle shaped. Uh, the tasting notes are charred beef, smoky and savoury barbecue bite with notes of baked bread, caramelised onion and sweetness from the barbecue sauce. I, I, I'll have to find out who wrote these because they're wank. Over the top. <laughs> they're beautiful. Okay, so uh, the barbecue sauce is closest mm. to you. We have extremely high-quality napkins so that we don't cover ourselves. In th- now, I put the onions on the bread first and then the sausage. Which would you normally do? Because I, I, there was a Twitter fight about this the other I would day. Put the sausage, I would put the sausage first. As I have done. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Did I say the other way around just then? You did, yes. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm trying to work out. Can I make a noise of barbecue sauce going on? No, it's flowing too <laughs> smoothly. Uh, obviously, I've gotten, you know, Cole's House brand barbecue yeah. sauce to go for the um, cheap thing, but I've, I've got plenty of onions on there. Cheap, I'm going to make a mess here. <laughs> okay, so you'll agree that's a democracy sausage. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's how they meant to come. I mean, obviously... These days, you're expected to have far higher quality sausages. Yeah, yeah, no. But yes, that's what I would expect a sausage sizzle to taste like. Hmm. Okay, so there's our comparison. I can't really all that just now. I'm going to wipe my fingers. <sighs> cleanse the palate. We must cleanse the palate. <laughs> Prosecco, as I say, probably isn't the perfect tool for the job, but here we are. 
Lovely. Right. And now, Arnott's Shapes Aussie Legend Sausage Sizzle. And some ingredients are, interestingly enough, they have the ingredients in French on one end. Which would indicate that they were intending to export, perhaps. To a French-speaking country. Indeed. Arnott's Australia exporting to the world. Okay, here's the English. Uh, wheat flour, vegetable oil, etc. Uh, vegetable vegetable oil contains antioxidants. Uh, soy, lecithin. Oh, hang on, that's... Corn flour, maize, sugar, salt, flavour. Brackets, milk. <laughs> yeast extract, baking powder, onion extract, garlic extract, spice, carob, beef fat. Carob? <laughs> Carob. That's interesting. <laughs> um, that's possibly from the barbecue sauce. Mm. Like, they're faking barbecue oh, yeah, sauce. Yeah, yeah. Many years ago, when I was a student, and I, like, I can see you hanging out because you want me to open this box of crackers. <laughs> and you say, oh, give me, give me these cheap... Oh, if you only you could see the facial expression there <laughs> of pure, pure gluttony and lust. <laughs> Back when I was a student... There was at the university one day a, uh, a food technology conference and one of the people who had a stall there was a company that made artificial flavourings. Now, artificial flavourings have fallen out of style mm. these days, but at least in the West. But his stall consisted of a, a shelves and shelves of little glass jars containing white powder and they were all labelled things like um, strawberry nougat oh, yeah. or or barbecue sauce and whatever. Now, the reason I know about this is is he, he just had a long conference and wanted to just go and have beers at the bar and he didn't feel like packing it up, so he hired a couple of students to pack it all up. Fair mm. enough. Quick money. I'm sure I'm sure he didn't pay his cash in hand. Um, <laughs> but we, we spoke a while and, and he said that, the artificial flavourings, you just have to pick the three signature chemicals that are the most significant chemical in the, the flavour you're after in the ratio, and that's close enough. Mm. It'll trigger all that and rest, whatever. It's just detail. If you're familiar with it, you'll do it. And it's it's right. You know, so, it's so, right. so it's basically close enough is good enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're all just these little white powders. <laughs> the magic the magic of organic chemistry. Okay, lift to open. Creating a huge mess here. Okay, now we have Australia shapes. These are meant to taste like sausage sizzle. Again, if you could please confirm for the boys and girls at home. It, yes, it's just. It's there's not even that that much dust on it. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just biscuit. Okay. Um. Yeah, I can see some brownish. Now, well, see, this comes back. Most of these things are, in fact, colourless chemicals. I suppose that yeah. fits with the point I was making. Yeah. Okay. It's more flavoursome than the other two. Definitely. Mm. I I can taste. Well, I was about to say I can taste sausage. I can taste beef fat and salt. Yeah. Okay. The carob's interesting. Let's do that. Um. Mm. I'm 
it is more sausagey. And you need, yeah, the sweetness there. Mm. I mean, onion powder and carob, right? A bit yep. of sugar, that'll do the job. I mean, is this... It does seem salty or sharper in its flavour. It is sharper, sharper, definitely sharper. It's definitely sharper flavour, definitely therefore more addictive. addictive it's, it's more distinct. Than the others. It's more distinct than the others. The others were not very distinct. So. I mean, I was, I, I'm still wanting an actual sausage. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's, let's face it, who doesn't, doesn't prefer want a sausage <laughs> to some, some cheap imitation? Uh, yeah, so number three... The sausage is better, but these are the better. These are the best out of the three. Out of the three. Okay. And so this, and then the other order, so Vegemite and cheese and I would, meat pie. I would rate. Um, Between the Vegemite and cheese and the meat pie. I actually quite like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm, that's a good question. I would probably give the. I think you're going to say something, but you say yeah. it, and then I'll. I'll probably give the meat pie a slight edge. Hmm. Do so. Mm. So there you have it. That is science. Uh, the Arnott shapes Aussie legends sausage sizzle beats out then meat pie, and then in third place, veggie martin cheese. Now, the other day on Twitter, this, this relates to this. Adam Lior, who is allegedly a chef, promulgated this theory, and apparently other people have suggested this too, that when slicing your bread for a sausage sizzle, you don't slice across the loaf and get a traditional squarish uh, shape, but you slice the, the loaf longitudinally, so you have a large rectangular thing. And that means that the sausage fits completely within the length of bread and yeah. the onion, so when you wrap it up, it doesn't fall apart yeah. and make a mess everywhere. Now, I think that is a crime. But it sounds entirely sensible. <laughs> well, no, it isn't part of the point that you've got a bit of sausage. Look, here it is. I'm actually going to finish this. Yeah. Uh, you've got a bit of sausage sticking out. And that's the, your starter fruit. Um, if you pass me the napkins, thank yeah. you. Um, and then as you go through it, yeah, and then you have, then at the end, another bit of pure sausage um, for your for your entertainment. Um, that's what I think, anyway. Mm. These shitty sausages actually aren't so bad. No. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, I thought Adam Lior's suggestion was terrible. But I found out about it. Uh, I found out about it at about the same time I found out about these Arnott shapes thing. So I, I did run a Twitter poll. Which is the greater food crime: Arnott shapes in meat pie and sausage sizzle flavors, or Adam Lior's lengthwise bread slice with sausage? And the greater food crime, according to eighty percent of people, were the Arnott shapes. Interesting. Yeah, I was really thinking that this whole sausage sizzle tradition would get people. But there you go. Have we spoken enough about this? Yes. We have. Thank you. Uh, is it the snarky platypus or just snarky platypus, do you think? Just snarky platypus. Sir. All right. Thank you, Mr. Platypus. Thank you. Thank you.
Very quickly, some news about uh, what will be happening with this podcast in the near future. For a start, there'll be another episode in less than a week because uh, on this coming Thursday, Nicholas Fryer and I will be recording uh, another joint episode. If you still have a trigger word or a conversation topic uh, owed to you, get that to me by Wednesday lunchtime, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, so we can put that into our plans. Uh, what else? Oh, yes. Uh, I have been adding uh, the 9pm edict to other podcast platforms. Uh, so now you can find the 9pm edict on Google Podcasts and Spotify and also uh, Deezer, CastBox and Podcast Addict. Addict. So please tell your friends uh, we do need to uh, have more people listening to this because because obviously. Uh, and I will be adding uh, it to Apple Podcasts and YouTube and Acast soon. I just have to make sure I'm uh, compliant with all of the bits and pieces so that that doesn't run into a problem. Now, earlier I said I wanted to generate more revenue this month, which is true. So here's the plan. I mean, contribute anyway, but if... I get by the end of the month, by which I mean by midnight Sydney time on the 31st of January, I will do a live reading of one hour of material about the dangers of 5G to read from one here, one here. Uh, 5G is the mandatory irradiation of the public without prior study. Uh, it's a 2B carcinogen. The public has not been consulted. Uh, uh, what is it? It is unconstitutional, apparently. Nature has a risk. Uh, nature itself is at risk. There is no place to hide from this, the largest biological experiment ever. Uh, the Australian Parliament has a, an, an ongoing inquiry into 5G in Australia. Some of the submissions to that inquiry from conspiracy theorists are just so sweet. So if we get your contributions this month from now until the end of the month, past $500 or $500 and beyond, one hour live read of this kind of material. If you get it to $1,000, two hours live read, $1,500, three hours, et cetera, $500 an hour past that. Look, I know I know, we really good, should be giving money to uh, those fighting and uh, the bushfires and suffering therefrom. And, and look, do that. Um, if, if you have to make a choice between who you contribute to, like obviously do that. But if, if you're able to be more generous than just that, throw a bit my way, please. Um, if I run out of 5G conspiracy material, I will throw in uh, some of the weirder submissions to the parliamentary inquiry on the religious uh, freedom uh, legislation. That too is a bit hilarious. So you know how to do this, right? Stillgarian.com slash tip. That's stillgarian.com slash tip. <music> A 
as you know, if you'd listened to, uh, well, the last episode of this podcast, uh, I have been tracking Donald Trump's rants about dishwashers, light bulbs, uh, and other such things. Listen back if you haven't heard it. It's it's crazy. Well, he's done it again this week, and the crowd loves it. But I'm also approving new dishwashers that give you more water so you can actually wash and rinse your dishes without having to do it 10 times. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Isn't that magnificent? But here's the thing. In 2018, uh, Ethan Hirsch, who's a political science professor at Tufts University, he asked a random sample of a 1,000 Americans how much time they spend on political activities. And what he found was quite interesting indeed. Uh, this clip is from On The Media. A third of them said they spend two hours or more each day on politics. Two hours a day devoted to politics, to civic engagement. Wow. But wait, four out of five said that the time is not spent on any real work, organizing, volunteering, anything active. And of those one in five who said they were actually doing anything, the amount of time they devoted to political work was infinitesimal. They read the newspaper, they listen to NPR, and then they could listen to a bunch of podcasts or watch MSNBC or Fox News for hours. And even if the stuff they're learning about is, you know, gossip and minutia, they'll say, ah, oh, it's my civic duty to be informed. But if you ask them, like, okay, well, who should I vote for in a local election? They would say, I have no idea. I don't know anything <laughs> about the local elections. I don't know anything about the state. I really could just tell you a lot about uh, moisture gate, Sharpie gate, the Mueller investigation, but I can't tell you a thing that would actually inform your vote. One of the things that Hirsch found was that women spend less time on social media, but women do more of the actual community work out there, including the political stuff. Uh, and uh, in terms of this whole recreational politics online, as as I think I'll call it, uh, 2016 was the high point around uh, the time of the election. So, yeah, women do most of the actual politics. I should tweet that, hey. Anyway, here's a, a final thought for you to ponder. Writing in the cut recently the day after the assassination of General Soleimani, writer Bridget Reed described the sensation of watching the stream of reactions on Twitter. She wrote, It was terrifying to be suddenly aware of how much time and attention I've given over to this strange place where everything happens, but nothing happens. Convincing me I'm doing something when I'm doing nothing, risking nothing, or worse, there's nothing else I can actually do or risk, when of course there is. Australia, what's your favourite sport? Football, snack, ice, animal, kangaroo. And what's your favourite car, Australia? Holden! Let me see, that's football, meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars, huh? Right! Well, you sure sound like Australia to me. We are! Well, then you better tell me again, because I just might forget. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos. 
kangaroos and honing cows. Football, meat pies, kangaroos and honing cows. That's football, meat pies, kangaroos and honing cows. Football and meat pies, kangaroos and honing cows. I think you better tell me again. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and honing cows. In case you're wondering, this commercial is brought to you by football, meat pies, kangaroos, and Australia's own car. They go together. Underneath the sun and stars, football and meat pies, kangaroos and holding cars. Makes sense to me! Well, that's all the edict for now. Go to the website for links. Go to the website to send your money my way. The next episode of this podcast will be, well, next Thursday, whatever date that is. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Bye. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.